Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Boothcast. Boothcast today is brought to you by Shoreham Partners. Shoreham Partners is one of Australia's preeminent investment and wealth management firms. With a national presence and over $20 billion of assets under advice, Shoreham Partners offers the intimacy of a boutique investment firm backed by the resource and scale of a major financial group, EFG International. If you want to find more about Shoreham Partners, please check out www.shorehampartners.com.au. Now, let me throw over to my interview with swimmer Thomas Fraser Holmes. Hello, and welcome to Boothcast. On Boothcast, I speak to people about sport, business, and the winning mindset. Today's Boothcast is brought to you by Booth Training, and today's guest is Thomas Fraser Holmes. He is a two time Olympian in 2012 and 2016, a Commonwealth Games gold medalist, and an Australian dolphin swimmer, and one of my very good childhood friends. Thomas, thanks for coming on. Boothie, thanks for having me, mate. Good to be here. Yeah, very good to have you on. So on all my shows, I like to really start with the nuts and bolts of people's lives. I like to go into their background and find out where they're from and, and what they did when they were growing up. So I know a lot of this stuff, but can you let the listeners know a little bit about who you were as a kid and, and where you were from? Yeah, cool. Um, so basically, I grew up in a city called Newcastle, which is about two and a half hours outside of Sydney, north um grew up just you know loving the water loving all things to do with sport i love my rugby league my rugby union i was really into surf life saving and obviously into my swimming as well and i guess um swimming really started for me um through my parents um my my parents used to get up at every morning you know the crack of dawn to go down to charlestown pool and have a swim and me and my sister would have to go down the pool with them to basically not be at home alone and my sister ended up um, sort of getting into swimming lessons. So therefore the younger brother had to get into the pool as well. And um, that's probably where we cross paths with yourself, um, Dan and Steve. So um, yeah, just grew up in Newcastle and um, was just a really sporty kid. I didn't really have any aspirations when I was a real, you know, young 10, 11, 12 year old to go to the Olympics. I just sort of wanted to just to, just to enjoy sport and enjoy um, I guess just being a kid and hanging out with my friends and all that sort of stuff you do as a kid. I think um, growing up as a kid in Newcastle, it teaches you to be um, very resilient um, due to the conditions where we swam and, and the city that we grew up in. We sort of had that coal miners, um, BHP, sort of hardworking, blue-collar, pull-your-sleeves-up kind of attitude. And I think that was instilled in, um, I know definitely in myself and, um, from my parents and um, I guess yeah just how I got into the sport of swimming was just continually being at the pool and and being around that environment constantly and um, I didn't really knew I had anything special until I guess I went to a surf carnival my first time and I, I just didn't really want to do it too much I just went along to see you know to have some fun with my friends and I ended up doing really well and I remember one of the surf club managers age managers sort of said to me he said you know do you train seriously or do you take this seriously and I said oh you know I just go a couple of times a week with my, my sister at the pool and 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 just swim he goes oh you might want to think about taking it a bit seriously and and obviously my dad was was um pretty into the swimming world back in Newcastle and I I know my dad was wanting me to, to do swimming but he didn't really want to push me in that direction too hard and 
I don't know, just as I got a bit older, I just started to commit a little bit more to training and the sessions and um, I just that sort of talent just got a little bit better as I got older. Yeah, it was obviously cool to see and obviously annoying to see how good you were getting when we were kids. Like I remember uh, down swimming down at Charles Sound Pool and I used to be able to like still like beat him when I was like 14 or 13 and then all of a yeah. sudden you just became a superstar and it sort of just went away, went ahead of everybody. But obviously when you were doing um, surf lifesaving as a kid, you were very naturally good at it. Like you were the age group below me and as you said, like you weren't really taking it very seriously, which would have been very frustrating for a lot of people. But then you just got, you got really good at it. When do you, th- when do you think like the age was when you went, right, like I actually maybe want to get better? Was it when that coach said something to you at the beach or was it um, something internally as well that you were like, oh, maybe I, maybe I do want to be good at sport? I think it was in the environment that I was in. I was in a very good, as you know, at, at Charlestown Swimming Club. I was around some really good competitive guys around my age like yourself and your older brother Stephen um there was just a lot of guys around around that period of time that were really into the swimming and into the surf life saving so I guess it would have been around 12 13 or 14 that I I sort of you know started to take it a bit more seriously and I think my main goal was it wasn't to be the best at a state or at an Australian level it was more so every day I had someone to chase. I remember a, yeah. I remember a, um, a set we were doing. It was, it was around 2100s. And I was on about a, a 115 interval at this, this time. Might have been about 13 or 14. I was in a short course. And it was about 2100s. It was about, I was at the, the 115 level. And I remember the older guys, like your brother. Um, there was a few other guys, Adam Beiser, those type of, type of guys. And they were on the 110 cycle. And I remember thinking oh you know I'd love to just go and be able to make 110 cycles for 2100s and I remember just making a decision of you know what I'm just going to go over in in the big boys lane and and see how it goes and I I was I made the first couple made the couple after that and then I think I started catching your brother Steve yeah I remember (laughs) I remember he started accusing me of not going on time or going a bit early on the send-offs yeah and I remember I wasn't going early I was just you know I was just in the moment and I was I was you know just improving and I was always chasing people and I I just sort of found my progression from that naturally I didn't really have um you know a coach sort of yelling at me and telling me to you know go faster or go harder I just sort of found that naturally and that really appealed to me that um you know the harder I worked the, the more easier things became in the pool and I just sort of started seeing my results improve from that way so um, I guess back to your question, it was yeah, probably around that 13 or 14 years of age when I, I could sort of keep up with the older guys in, in the group. Yeah, it was quite cool to see, obviously, everybody getting so frustrated when you start to tap on their feet. I remember like Mitchell Thompson used to get upset, my brother and like all these guys, because you were just like the young kid, just like smashing everybody. Nobody likes that. Um, but I, I remember that, that period fondly because we used to finish swim training and um, Dennis would pick us up in the taxi and take us home. And then we'd either go to school or we wouldn't. And it was just like, it was just hilarious time. And then you drive past me walking to school late and we get in trouble. Yeah. I remember that time we finished swimming training, we went back to my place and had breakfast. And then we were just so tired, dead tired from training that we were just like, oh, we might just go to school a bit later. We won't catch the bus and we'll just walk in a bit later. And my dad was a taxi driver and we're walking to school and um, we almost, we were about halfway from my house to school and there was nowhere else for hide on this road. We couldn't like duck in behind anything. And dad 
just drives it drives by in the taxi just looking at us and we're just like oh no and by the time we got to school the teachers were waiting there for us and i think we i think my dad must have phoned your dad greg and um i think you copped it i so i know i certainly did and i think we got a couple of after school detention for it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, those are the days yeah um so then we obviously you started you started getting competitive at um Charlestown pool with like obviously the old guys looking up to and then then after a couple of years um you ended up moving on to is it hunter is that right yep yep, yep hunter swimming and that and under um i can't remember their names right now but yeah you, you that's when you started to really step it up and you like there was like the guys like tim lane and adam beisler as well there and like they were the sort of like your guys that you were chasing and then you obviously started beating them like how was that process obviously moving from maybe that outdoor swimming environment where it's cold and windy especially in the middle yeah. of winter and you used to like rip your jacket yeah. off and like run to the pool um <laughs> yeah. to like obviously going to an indoor sort of heated pool that was just like a mist of chlorine yeah it was kind of i was I got um, so there was there was Kerry and then there was Shane and Eric Arnold at the time. Yeah. And for those people who don't know, the Hunter Swimming Club is an indoor um, 25 meter six lane pool in the middle of Newcastle, pretty much. And so I made the move from Charlestown to Hunter, and I guess that progression was for me. I was probably about what 15, 14, 15, and I, I um, it was looking back on it now, it was just another step up in a progression from where I was. I remember the first couple of weeks that I was at Hunter, it must have been in the school holidays and we're doing three sessions a day and, you know, just train the absolute house down. And and I remember by like the second or third month that I was sort of there, I was already kind of ahead of everyone that was there and they were sort of closer to twenty and I was only at the fifteen sort of mark. But I had a really really good mentor and coach as as like you did with with Eric Arnold and um he taught me how to train and to be tough and at a at an age of at a very you know impressionable age of 14 and 15 he taught me the the skills to be you know to be one of the best and I remember I was still very serious about my surf while saving at the time and I kind of was half in half out with my my pool water swimming and he just sort of sat me down and he he sat me and my dad down and he said, you know, how, how serious are you guys about this, this swimming stuff? Because I really, truly believe that you can make the 2008 Olympics. And this was in 2006, I think I was, I just started, which was two years away. And I remember looking at my dad and just kind of just laughing, you know, like, yeah, right. Like I'm so far away from that. I want to, I want to go and chase the series. I want to go and chase, chase the Nutri-Grain Ironman series. I want to go up to, to Northcliffe and I want to be a part of that scene. And, and that's where it, my mentality was back then and I guess after that sort of conversation we had with Eric um it really kind of woke things up for me and definitely with my dad it was sort of well hey like how how good are you you know like can you can you take this all the way can you can you go to the Olympics you know how serious is this and then I remember just just saying to myself let's just give it 12 months and let's see where we can go with it I know I had a national age coming up and within the, the six months that we had that conversation and I think I went and I picked up three silver medals or something along those lines. And it was probably from, I think it was around 15 at that age nationals. And, and from that point, I sort of, my, my momentum and all my sort of time and effort moved into the, the pool swimming and less away from the surf. Um, so yeah, things just probably progressed from, from, 
literally that conversation. Yeah, it was quite, as you say, like with Eric, like especially down at Hunter, it was such a um, serious but like determined sort of mindset of everybody. Everyone got in on time. Everyone like worked really hard. There was no sort of like, nowhere could go easy. Otherwise, you got basically told how much, how, how soft you were essentially. And I think that was obviously really good for me <laughs> growing up as well because I learned to be really tough, I guess, now, like when I, when I can I get better results and that sort of thing. You'd learn that as through your childhood of actually being like resilient, as you were talking about earlier as well. Like you just get in there, you get the job done, you get out, and you get the results if you work hard. And I guess you started to see that, and that's that's when you sort of started to make that turn. Um, how did you go at that first Olympic trials in two thousand eight? I remember I finished. I had the four hundred individual medley, and I finished uh, ninth in the heat, so I missed the final. So that was, and at that point, I was so annoyed and I was so like knew I had way more to give and I remember having driving back from Sydney to Newcastle I remember saying to my dad you know like, these guys even are even that good like I can I know I can beat these guys just give me more time give me more training and I think from that moment it was just like this is I'm doing this I'm chasing this until I get to that level because I guess when I was in the surf I, I sort of got to that top of the top level within a short space of time and I sort of not achieved everything there was by no means I didn't achieve everything there was to do in the sport but in my mind I sort of you know I'd won it in an Australian age group Ironman title I'd won the swim I think I maybe won the ball but I won the tube rescue um so I was always at the top and I and I wasn't at the I was nowhere near the top in swimming and I think that I guess that competitiveness in me just sort of drove me to you know what I'll come back next year and I'll be I'll be, I'll be way better. And I yeah, think the next year I was second. Yeah, and I think that's something that you just learned. I think because I was, as we we're talking about, you weren't probably taking surf life saving as seriously as some other people were, but you were still getting the results. So it's kind of like nice. And, but it sort of beca- doesn't become enough because you don't have that hard work period to get to the top of the pyramid, which is probably what you saw in swimming. You're like, well, if I don't really work hard yet. yet. So I remember training yeah. and I know you weren't like probably working as hard as you could, but then probably had yeah. that moment you're like hang on like let's actually do this properly let's, act, let's have a crack at this and see if I push myself yep. where I'm going to end up and you exactly. sort of it's what I remember you sort of started to take the 400 IM a little bit more seriously when you were at Hunter because were you, was it you weren't a breaststroker or a backstroker it was one of those ones that you weren't that good at it but then it, obviously you I had was, to get better at it yeah I wasn't I wasn't a backstroker and, and to this day it's still my my weakest leg yeah um so yeah, when I moved to Hunter, and I think Justin Norris around that time, who was a bronze medalist from the Sydney Games, was kind of making a comeback for that 2008 Olympic trials, and and I had him to train with. So I was just, heck with this, like one of my heroes from Newcastle. I was training with him, and I was just, you know, chomping at the bit every single time, just to just to prove my worth and and just test my medal every single time. Yeah, and it's always good to have those people around you to push you. So once you once you do those trials and you have that sort of experience where you don't get what you want, then in 2009, you obviously start working a lot harder. Yeah, so in 2000 and, um, 2008, it was about a couple of months after the trials, I, I was at the interstate at Bondi Beach. I think it was 100 years of yeah, surf life-saving. Yeah, it was at Bondi Beach. Yeah. And... As soon as that finished, I had a medley camp down at the Australian Institute of Sport. And so I had to leave that, that competition at Bondi and go directly into a two-week training camp. 
And then after that training camp, I got a trial to come. I got an offer to come and trial the AIS in Canberra. And I went back and did a, a trial at the end of 2008 at the AIS with um, a coach, Vince Rally, who's pretty prominent in the swimming world. And I just made the decision that I'm going to go. And, and by November of that year, I was picked up all my stuff from Newcastle and, and moved down to Canberra. It was as simple as that. I went for a two-week trial and I just said, this is me. I'm going to chase this. I'm going to just put, you know, all my effort into at least the London Olympics for the next three years to try and um, make that team and, and, and do really well. Um, so it was, it was literally that quick. It was from, and that was my last ever surf carnival. It was from that interstate of Bondi into yeah. a swimming camp at the LES, into a trial. And then a couple of weeks later, I was I packed up all my stuff from Newcastle and moved down. So had you finished Full school time. at that point? No, I had to do um, year 12 in yeah. Canberra. So I, I moved schools. I moved, I literally moved everything. I moved out of home, left my dad um, in Newcastle, left all my friends and um, at, left school, obviously, to change schools and complete my year 12 education in Canberra um so yeah that's it was pretty when you look back on it now it's just like wow that's a lot to take on for a just turned 17 year old kid <laughs> yeah absolutely but like I guess I guess I know what what was driving it but how was that whole experience for you like was it it wasn't obviously easy to go so I'm 17 I've got a whole year of school left I've got all my friends here my family's here and then I'm gonna go no nah, I'm gonna move down here and fully commit like like that's that's something that's pretty special in, inside somebody to be able to do that like that just like not normal people don't just make that decision and go right i'm going to commit everything to swimming <laughs> how was that whole experience for you because obviously it would have felt like amazing at times but then it would have obviously been very hard as well yeah i think it was looking back on it now and i know i have the same sort of mentality even to this day if if something if i'm passionate about something and you know, all the ducks are in a row, all the dot, you know, all the T's have been crossed, all the I's have been dotted, that type of thing. I just go for it. And I think that was sort of my mentality back then as well was that, I guess I started from a young age that, and I remember my dad was pretty, he was, he was encouraging me to go and, to go and be great and to go and see how far I could take this. Because at the time I was, I was currently at that time, I was currently lining up a plumbing apprenticeship in Newcastle. So it was sort of, literally one do I go down the, the plumbing apprenticeship road and you know set up a good life for myself down the plumbing road or do I you know see what this swimming thing's all about and and really see what my full potential is and do I give that a crack and 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 once I got back from the trial from the AIS I, I just I came home to dad and I spoke to my mum as well and I was just like you know it's so awesome I got the best guys in the world um, training in the one environment. I don't have to pay for rent. All my food's covered. You know, I just I'm, I'm going to go for it. And my parents yeah. were just like, you know what? We'll we'll support you. Um, we'll come down and visit you every so often. And to be honest, I was at that age where I was just I not what I wanted to get out of home, but any opportunity that I could have, you know, presented finding itself. I, I yeah, finding my own way and forging my own path was a big was a big thing for me so yeah it worked out all right i guess 
Yeah, no, it's it's definitely a really interesting situation to be in. Like I know I had a similar situation. I obviously moved to the Gold Coast and chased the Ironman thing that you just spoke about before. And then like obviously had the engineering where I could obviously try and just be a sports person. It didn't work out for me for like four years or something like that. And then eventually it did. But it is a big decision to make. And it feels like the world's like all on top of you. And you're like, well, like I'm making a huge decision. But you're so young and you don't realize it at that age. Like when you're 17, 18, you're just like so young. Like that's like 10 years ago for us now, 11 years ago. And now it's like, yeah. okay, well, we made a real, like you made a really good decision to be able to go down there because you've set yourself up into this whole different pathway that has created your life and you've had a lot of success from it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. really cool to see. But so you moved down to the yes. Was that under like the, the scholarship program or something like that at the time? Like, cause is it still set up the same way? Like, is it still an AIS down in Canberra? No, so how it was originally structured, so um, think of it as like a US college um, setup. So you get a scholarship, you get your food, um, you get your training, you get your coaching paid for, you get the living allowance and you get accommodation, you get all that type of stuff. So it was basically a full scholarship to go there and basically train and yeah. be a, a professional swimmer. So, and, and then how it works now is it, it's t nothing is like that now. It, it's sort of everything's done um, through the national um, governing bodies. So through Swimming Australia, then they um, designate funds for specific programs around Australia. So there's no actual Australian Institute of Sport hub in Canberra anymore for swimming. Um, so that stopped in about 2000 and oh, a couple of years ago. I can't remember the year, but yeah, back then it was sort of, it was a it was a full scholarship you didn't literally have to pay for anything and it was the best thing for a person like myself who was kind of coming from a country town like newcastle and and kind of not outgrown sort of the people and the the swimmers that were there but they just weren't pushing me as much as as what we spoke about when i was at charleston and i was just chasing the older guys and i was just progressing that natural on that natural progression that way and when i went to the aes it was i was training with Olympians, Olympic medalists, Olympic gold medalists, and I was just absolutely in my element. And I had, I had to focus on my school. I had to get my schooling and education sorted. And then my other thing that I had to do was train, term training, and just be an athlete. So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's obviously it's it would have been a fun experience going from um, somebody who didn't really like training that much, and then obviously just yeah. absolutely loved training. I think obviously. As a young kid, if you were pushed into it, you probably wouldn't have loved it as much. But because you got to find your own way, as you've been speaking about, you actually learned to love training. You learned to want to do it for yourself and nobody else. I think that's something that's really important for anybody who wants to do sport or wants to do anything in their life. Like if you have that passion, you have that desire, you're going to be able to achieve it. So um, you get down there. When do you start? Um, I don't know if you'd won an Australian title by then, like in the juniors. But when did you start to really start to see some actual success that, that, that you thought you were okay, I'm going to make the Olympics in 2012? I, yeah, so I, I never won a national age gold medal. I always won a silver or a bronze or final or something along those lines. And it took me probably six months when I was down there to see some really big improvements, some, some big barriers for me that were the four minutes, 20 for the 400 IM long course meters. Um, so I, I dipped under that barrier and I went, I think I went 418 for the first time after six months of being at the AIS. 
And another big barrier in swimming terms is the 200 meter freestyle under that one minute 50 second barrier for long course meters. Um, and I think I, I might have swam like a 149 low after six months. So automatically, I just saw natural progression and improvements because of the environment that I was in. And um, stemming on from that, it was the next 2000 and it might have been the 2010 trial. So after 12 months of being down there at the 2010 trials, I won my first um, long course national title in the 400 IM and made my first international team of the Pampax and Commonwealth Games. So it was probably after six months I saw improvements, but on the national level, it was probably about 12 months. And, and what was that like winning your first Australian title and making your first teams? Um, obviously you committed so much, like what did it mean to be able to start to see those achievements and actually fulfilling what you thought you could achieve? Because that's sometimes the scariest bit. It's like, if I commit to all this and I don't achieve it, like I'm going to feel like a failure, but you're actually starting to see that great success. Yeah, it was, it was really the first, the first, I remember this so well, as like, like it was yesterday, the, the, the night that I made my first Australian team and qualified for my first Australian team, it was the day in 2010 that Saxon had passed away at the Australian Surf Life Championships. So I had, in the 400 IM, I had qualified in the morning to do the heat. And then I remember going back to the hotel and just having a sleep and having something to eat. And when I woke up from my sleep, my phone was just going absolutely bonkers with like messages of you know what had happened and what had gone on. And I remember my, my coach calling me into the room saying, you know, obviously this tragic event's happened. Your mate Saxon has passed away. And I'm, I was just completely shattered. I was just distraught. I was so upset. And I, and I had a couple of hours before my 400 IM to make, you know, to achieve something that I've been training five, six years for to achieve my life goal. And I remember like I was just so emotionally just drained behind the block because my mind was, you know, as an 18 year old, you you know, your mind's just going like that anyway. And I, I just, I remember just feeling really happy and over the moon that I made my first Australian team. But at the same time, I was very upset and sad at the same time. So I was, I always remember that day, the first day, that I, the first time I made the Australian team was such a great day, but also such a sad day at the same time. Um, but yeah, obviously went on and, and some of the Pan Packs and Commonwealth Games, but yeah, it was just a lot of effort to go into that, you know, swim to, to make the Australian team. So, yeah, it's, it's, it was such a tragic moment. I was actually in that race and I actually rolled that ski and it was just a bizarre weekend, I think, altogether. And obviously we raced with Saxon for forever. Uh, he was always yep. that guy trying to beat me. And I was like, no, you can't beat me. I'm better than you, you know, like <laughs> that sort of stuff. And he was yeah. always a real, like the best swimmer um, or one of the best swimmers in, in my age oh, group. Absolutely. And, and uh, yeah, he was a fantastic competitor and it was obviously a big, big shock to all of us. Um, but yeah, it's just unfortunate tragedy. But it was good that you were able to make something good out of that, that terrible situation. Yeah. And maybe it helped spur you on a little bit when you were, when you were racing. Um, but when you were moving into the Commonwealth Games and the, the Panbacks that you're talking about, how did you go over there and how was your first international experiences? It was great. Um, our Commonwealth Games was in New Delhi in India and our Pan Pacific Championships was in 2003. No, sorry, in Irvine, California in 2010, obviously. Um, so the Pan Packs was amazing because it was the first time that I lined up against Michael Phelps, um, obviously one of the best athletes ever to do it. 
And then to go to a Commonwealth Games is obviously such a big event for Australians and the Australian public, and it's just a, a, a great event. Um, both swam, I swam really well at both of those meets. Um, any memories from those sort of meets? I remember sort of going into the competition pool in Delhi, and after about two days, the toilets were clogged up, and after the sixth day of racing, the, the main competition pool had turned green. So those challenges like that were were, were um, were pretty difficult but I was still 18 and I, I sort of was on the Australian swimming team and I, I couldn't see any wrong like I, I wasn't negative about anything because I, I was all brand new and I was just in the eyes were just wide open everywhere I went so um, that was an amazing experience um, both those meets and did I think you medaled did you medal at those ones Yep, so I'm pretty sure I got a bronze in the 200-meter freestyle and we won the relay at Commonwealth Games. And I got a bronze in the relay at Pampax and I finished fourth in the 200 freestyle at Pampax that year. And how cool was that so when you win the Commonwealth Games gold medal? Because that's something you probably were looking forward to eventually doing and you sort of do it in your first meet. That would have been just an incredible feeling. Unbelievable. It was, it was amazing. It was, you know, you... I think you only realize how good it is when you have self-reflection and you, and you think back how far you have come to get to that moment. But when you're in the moment, it's obviously like a lot of jubilation and, and happiness that you've achieved the goal. And um, I probably have better memories looking back on it now than probably what I did in the moment. Because I probably, you know, I can't really tell you because it was all a blur. <laughs> it, so, is, it is funny when it's like that. It's, you, you, you do well in something, but you, you're ultimately always looking to the next goal. It's only like years later when you look back, you're like, that was so good. I, I wish I like, absolutely. I could have understood how much that would mean to be down the track. Yeah. I mean, after my performances in, at the London Olympics, I'd, as soon as I got out of the pool after the 200 free final and I performed really well, I said to my coach, Dennis, I was just like, I can't wait till Rio. And that was four years away. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, didn't even, I didn't even take 10 seconds to enjoy the result that I got. And I was already thinking about the next four years. But I think, I don't know, with sports people and high-performing people, that want to succeed all the time. I think that's a common trait that you'll see. And what was it like lining up against Michael Phelps for the first time? Because obviously he probably was one of your idols. He was just bigger than bigger than Absolutely. swimming himself and, and still is. What was that feeling like lining up next to somebody like that? And how did you um, deal with it mentally as well? Because it would have been almost intimidating. You're like, oh, I'm not supposed to be here in a way. Yeah, well... <laughs> The first time that I, I raced Michael Phelps was in the lead-off with the 4x2 freestyle relay. So he was leading off the USA team and I was leading off the Australian team. Yeah. And I remember we were standing, standing behind the blocks and I said, you know what, whatever happens, I'm going to try and keep with this guy for as long as I possibly can. I'm going to you know, test the medal. I'm going to see, see what he's got, all that type of stuff. And I remember the gun going off and, and staying with him the first 100. But coming into approaching the 100-meter wall, and, and this is, just goes to show how inexperienced and how much of a rookie I was. I was so focused on what he was doing at, at the 100 meter wall and I was kind of shocked that I was still keeping up with him. We flipped, we did tumble turn at the 100 meter wall and I completely missed the wall. Oh, no. I completely, and I didn't even get a push off. I had to literally dead start the last 100 meters and then I looked across and then Michael was just doing his trademark like 10 to 12 meters underwater. I'm just like, oh no. And yeah. I just completely... I think I still ended up doing a PB for some reason because I went out that fast. But um, I remember just thinking, how silly was that? Like to, to do that on your first 
the, your first race against the best ever. Like, just I just remember telling myself, just stick to the race plan from now on. Don't try and do anything else. Just stick to your own race plan. And yeah, that was probably the first the, the first time I raced him, but it was probably the best lesson that I learned in my international career. <laughs> yeah sometimes you learn those lessons the hard way don't you like those ones that you remember yeah. for the rest of you like every race you probably go into now and you're probably like i'm just making sure i don't do that again i don't want to do that again that was the exactly. biggest mistake i've ever made so but you, yeah. you you build on those mistakes and that's the only way you get better sometimes because you have to learn it the hard way and you can't always be told what to do you have to learn what you've done wrong to be able to make that um a, a tool in your shed for like for going forward but so you um you compete in 2010 and then you start to lead into the obviously into the london olympics that you were just talking yep. about what was that lead-in like um so that lead-in was a little bit different i um my coach at the alias at the time had taken the national australian youth head coach role so he was no longer coaching at the end of 2010. So I had to then <clears throat> find another coach to go and train under. And then I went, I did a few trials around the place. I did another a trial in Canberra. I did one in Brisbane with Michael Bowl, And I did a trial with Dennis Cottrell on the Gold Coast. And I remember coming up with, to Dennis's program, especially, and I, and I, and I, one of my heroes growing up, as you probably know, was Grant. And, I went and spent two weeks with Dennis and after that two weeks, I was like, I'm, you're my guy, like you're my coach. I'm going to go with you and we're going to, we're going to do well together. So I ended up packing up from Canberra from the AIS from an environment that pretty much everything was done for you. You didn't have to do anything. Didn't have to lift the, lift a finger if you didn't want to, to an environment where all of a sudden you got to pay rent. You got to go out grocery shopping. You got to drive, 30 minutes to training, um, all those little things that might not seem significant to people in everyday lives. But when you come from an environment like that into an environment where you literally defend yourself, it, it was a bit of a bit of a change for me. And um, I guess the, the lead into the London Olympics, I had about 18 months with Dennis before the Olympics and um, we had a great run. We had a fit of right into the program um, both Dennis and myself had great connection and um, had a great relationship and yeah, it just kind of stemmed on from there. And as you, as some of your listeners might know that Dennis is not known for his um, easy work. He's known for his, his tough work and his tough workout. So yeah, um, there was a lot, a lot of hard yardage done with Dennis, but um, it was definitely worth it in the end. It's funny how you mentioned um, Grant Hackett being one of your idols and then you go into Dennis's squad. And I wasn't really in Dennis's squad. I was in the surf squad in one of the outlier lanes and you fast guys were over yeah. on the side. But um, I remember he used to always just give the swimmers so much shit. It was always like, hey, Grant used to do this session with his eyes closed. What do you guys do? Why can't you do it? Like, and then he'd like, oh, he list yeah. off all the times he used to do and he'd be like, okay, well, I'm never going to be that 20 seconds faster over 100 metres. So I'm just going to just yeah. swim over here and just relax. <laughs> yeah. That was it. That, yeah. was, that was the, that was, it was an expectation of excellence. And that, yeah. that's what we created with that group there at Miami was just an expectation of, you know, that old saying, there's the no dickhead rule. Yeah. You know, we were sort of, you know, hardworking, um, swam tough events like, it was a program based around the 1500, the 400 IM, 400 free, 200 fly, like all those type of events. That was the program to go to. But I, I 
specif specified in, in and got a bit more specific in the 200 meter freestyle later down the track. Yeah, so speaking of events, you've mainly competed in the 200 freestyle and the 400 IM and the 4x200 relay. They've sort of been your events, but um, why, why do you think that they became your events? Were that just the ones that you just were the best at or was it just something that you wanted to get really good at because you were aspiring to be someone or how, how did it work? How did you make those decisions? I really enjoyed the, the, the 400 IM because I came from that background of in surf life saving you have to swim you have to run you have to board paddle and I, I did a little bit of ski paddling but i i liked changing disciplines and i thought i was really good at that and i thought i had the ability in all four strokes to be good at that event and that's what kind of drew me towards it because it was it was it was like a tactical race and there was a bit of thought behind it and it was um, very strategical in the sense that if you went out too hard in the butterfly and the backstroke, you would pay for it the breaststroke and freestyle. So um, I, it just drew me. That event just, you know, we just connected um, when I swam that event for the first time. But with the 200 freestyle, it was sort of, I was never really good at the 400 meter freestyle. I didn't really have that sort of technique and um, sort of pacing ability for the 400. I was more sorted suited towards the 200 because it didn't really have the 100 speed either. So the 200 really worked in perfectly. Um, so yeah, I, I just sort of found those events sort of on my own and we just kind of went from there. And yeah, so you, now you're swimming with Dennis Cottrell um, on the Gold Coast. You've had to make a big change. You're basically looking after yourself anymore. You, you aren't being babied yeah. anymore. You've got to be a big boy. Yeah. But um, when, you, when you're there, what, what changes for you and you've obviously gone from being one of the best guys to being the best guy in, in a couple of events what, leading into the London um, trials. What was, what was that you're feeling around that trials and did you perform to your expectations? I definitely did. I swam, um, I think in the 400 medley, I swam four and a half second PB or something around that. And I broke the Australian record and the Commonwealth record, I think at the time at the trials and I think I did about a second PB in the 200 meter freestyle at the trials. So I knew coming in to the 2012 trials, I'd done a lot of work and I was, I knew I was just a lot better than what I was a year or, or two years previously. And I knew that I was going to get drops because of the, the times that was that, that were indicating in training. Um, so yeah, I, I, was, I was very confident going into the trials and ended up swimming some great times. And, and where does that confidence come from? Does it come from just like the amount of work that you were doing or is it something that you've been able to, to build mentally? Like do you, how, how do you control that whole motivation and being able to perform when it counts? Like do you have sports psychs as well? Like how does it all work? Yeah, confidence is a funny thing. It's a very fickle thing, confidence. Um, yeah, it comes and goes. it's really important. Oh, it is, absolutely. I, I, over my career, I definitely gain my confidence through the work I was doing um, and and the type of times that I was doing at training. So for me, the the confidence came through work. I think confidence for other people might come through other ways. Um, so in terms of leading into the trials, we do have access to sports psychologists and I was working very closely with um, with a psycholo sports psychologist. But I, I learned some really good habits when I was at the LES um, two years previous to that, I just learned really good habits and, and um, I guess, traits leading into competition. I, I, 
I was surrounded by people that were very, um, very highly successful and were very um, diligent athletes and they were very um, driven athletes as well. So I, I, just, I just had really good um, processes instilled from a very young age on that, on that front. And you must have had very good support structures as well, like, as well because a lot of the stuff that you were doing from when you left home at 17 to moving to the Gold Coast, you were kind of on your own, like in a way, like you were sort of committing all your time and effort to yourself and you were like, I, I, nobody can like tell me otherwise I'm going to be able to do this and I'm going to be able to achieve this. But what was your support structures like? Because it, it must have been hard to obviously rely a lot on yourself to be able to get to the pool, yeah. to be able to to cook yourself for dinner. You've got to, you got to be, obviously got to train and travel and do all sorts of different things. Um, what were your support structures like throughout that period? So obviously when we were in Canberra, we had access to support staff like physio, massage therapists, sports psychologists, nutritionists, all those types of things. Um, and I was, I was just like a sponge, I guess. And I, I just sort of took everything on board. I tried things and if those things didn't work, I threw them out. Then I tried new things and the things that worked, I just, I really just took on board and I, and I, I just, I just kept applying them day in and day out. You know, like I, 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 I found a routine with my physio and massage every week. I found a routine with my eating diet. I found a routine um, speaking to my sports psychiatrist, psychologist, sorry. And I just, I just, just formulated just really solid routines. And I, I don't, looking back on it now, the only transition that I had to make from Canberra to the Gold Coast was really just being comfortable in a new environment because I knew I had all and this is probably just me as an individual I, I, I was so in tune with my processes and, and the way that I did things that I was literally just moving programs and just moving to a different house and it wasn't really oh no I don't have these people so I can't do this anymore it was more or less okay I've got the tools now. I can apply them as I need them type thing. And I think that's very, very important for young people, not just athletes, but in this sense, we're talking about athletes, but at a very young age, creating good habits and good um, processes that can help you if you want to progress the sport further. Um, it's not just at an early age, not just about training hard and, and, and seeing the times drop. It's about creating processes and, and what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Yeah, and it's really important to create those routines, have those processes yep. in place and, and just sort of feel comfortable with what you're doing each and every day that you're making those smart decisions that to achieve that ultimate goal because that ultimate goal, you know, in a way, um, I, I've talked to a couple of people, some people say it's like a sacrifice, but in a way it's not a sacrifice because you're, you're getting up every day doing what you want to do. So it's kind of like this passion that you want to achieve. So it's, it's not really yep. a sacrifice, but at the same time, you've got to sacrifice certain things that may be um, seen from like general public as like normal, but it's not normal for you. That's not what you want. Um, yeah. But going in, going forward, um, talk us through your first Olympic Games. It's obviously something that every swimmer looks forward to achieving. Like you get to go to London, you put in the Aussie tracksuit for the first time. You're, you're flying over with Qantas. You're doing all these things. You go on the opening ceremony. How was that whole experience for you? Uh, it was, what is it, eight years ago now. Um, I remember just feeling just excited and, and just really enthusiastic about being there. And, and <clears throat> I was very wary of not spending my emotions too early, waiting for race day and I will get my time to perform. I wasn't 
wasn't really, I wasn't nervous. I was just really, really excited just to be there and be around athletes and, and be around highly successful people and highly tuned in people. Um, looking back on it, I, I had a great Olympics. I, I swam all PBs. I made finals. I, I think I was just, I had a sixth and a fifth and a seventh or something like that. Um, so I, I had a great games and I had a great experience. There's nothing I could look back on and go, oh, I wish I did, I did this better and I wish I did that better. Um, it was just a, a lot of enthusiasm and, and, and just like, wow, this is something that I've never experienced before. So I'm really going to make sure I enjoy it because I don't know if I'll get to another one, I guess. Yeah. And obviously and that wasn't, you did, you didn't end up going to another one, but what, like, so when you got your sixth and your seventh and you were doing those results, like that was, you'd achieved, that was what you wanted to, to get to. And, and when you finished your race, you still wanted to look forward to the next Olympic Games because you were still quite young. You were still only, I think, 21 at the time. Um, yep. And you had a lot more swimming to do. When you came back from the, that Olympics, what was your thought process? Was it just straight into the next cycle or would you have a little break? Or how does, how does the swimming sort of world work in that respect? Yeah, so we, we, have, we basically work on four-year cycles. So we, call, we obviously call it a quad, quad cycle. Um, and on the fourth year being the Olympics. So everything that we do in a four-year cycle leads up to that point. So I'll just take, for example, in 2012, we had the Olympics. And then 2013, we have a World Championships. 2014, we have uh, Commonwealth Games. 2015, we have another World Champs. And then obviously in 2016, we have another Olympics. So within that four-year cycle, we have a two, two World Championships and a Commonwealth Games. And those are just little benchmarks along the way. But everything you do in that four years, well, this is how we used to do it. We'd you know, prepare you for that, that day at the Olympics. Um, and I remember after the 2012 Olympics, after we spoke about earlier, I spoke to Dennis and I was just like, I can't wait for Rio. I think I took maybe two or three weeks off, off training, and then we got straight back into it. Um, and I remember from the 2012 Olympics to the 2016 Olympics, I think I took at total maybe five or six weeks up in holiday. That's all I had off in those four, four years. So that's how, I guess, that was the mindset of me being an athlete um, during that period was and, you know, just the dedication and, and the, the level you got to expect of yourself to to even be better because I got great results in London, but they weren't guaranteed to be the same results in, in, in Rio. So still a lot of work that had to be done. But how do you mentally prepare for that? Like it's obviously a very special thing to be an Olympic athlete, but doing it over those four or those quad cycles, as you're talking about, it must be quite mentally draining as well, because I know you obviously had a good, good races in London. So you probably back that was perfect. But how did you, how do you make sure that you're coming up for those occasions? Because you only, it only really counts then. Like you really, like, as you say, like it leads in these quad cycles and the Olympic games is like the top of the mountain. That's where you want to perform. So how do you make yeah. sure that you're performing well at that point? And what, 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 like what sort of things do you put in place to, to make sure that happens? I think it comes back to really good planning. It comes mm. back to, um, knowing when to do your endurance cycles, knowing when to do your anaerobic cycles, your race pace cycles. I don't think you can go through even 12 months of doing the same sort of training and the same sort of structure in your programming. Um, 
but it's it's kind of like a mental thing. Like the year after Olympics, everyone sort of takes a bit more time after the Olympics to have a holiday and and be a bit normal for a while. And then normally the year after Olympics, everyone's a little bit sluggish. And then it's just like a general um, unspoken thing that everyone just kind of builds. But yeah. in terms of being specific to what I my thought process was that as long as I was seeing improvements each year on my times, then I knew that I was, I was obviously going to be better in Rio. Um, so me personally, I think it just comes back to good planning and good structuring of that, of those programs. And you speak about the mental side of it though. How do you stay fully committed the whole time? Like, it's just like intrinsically, like that's just what you want to do. Like, cause obviously people have different struggles. Like I've seen, different athletes have their own personal problems, but you didn't really seem to have that. You just were very structured. You obviously was fell back on your routines, your processes and your preparation. Yeah. So I love that. I love my quotes, my favorite quote. And it has been for a while now. It's like, we don't rise to, to the occasion. We fall to our highest level of preparation. And it just sounds that you were always really prepared. Like, and you put everything in place to make sure that you performed at that time and when it counted. And that's something that creates a champion athlete because not everybody can do that. Some people could be the best trainers in the world and not be able to perform when it counts or they get to the race and they get overwhelmed with emotions. How did you keep that all in check? Oh, I was very good at balance. I was very good at, you know, I was, I was working as a lifeguard and, and I had little bits of study on the side that I was doing, but I was also very good at knowing myself and knowing my body of when. I'd had, you know, I was a little bit burnt out from training and I would take a couple of days off and, and just go surf or just chill out. I, I was very good at just knowing my body and knowing when to not give myself a physical break, but also just to give myself a mental break. I yeah. think if we keep, you know, hammering and battling and just putting your sword in the fire every single day, it it kind of, it loses its its crispness and loses its um its you know sharpness of it all and i was a, i'm always a big believer in if you're going to do something you do it at 100 percent. i'm not going to turn up to training and, and be 70 or 80 percent motivated otherwise i might as well just not really show up at all so i was very wary of the fact that when i was at training i was 100 percent committed there was nothing else in my life that was sort of distracted me from being a training I made sure that all those things were taken care of and I was just really proactive in that area but also I was like I said I was very good at just creating balance and I think that's very important whether you're an athlete or you're in business or whatever you do yeah and I think that's so true and going forward obviously that 12 to 16 what was that period like did you were you with Dennis the whole time and you were in that sort of training environment there um, how did you go through like the key events like the world championships, the Com games, the world championships, and then obviously eventually to the, the Rio games? Yeah. So I was really quite, um, my progression was really good through 2018 to right through 2016. I got to world number one from 2014 to 2015. Um, and was that the yeah, I had some really good results. No, freestyle. Twenty freestyle. Yeah. Um, and I, I was just really in, just enjoying my swimming and enjoying um, the hard work and, and enjoying the results as well. Um, I was doing a lot of sort of international racing and I was traveling a lot and 
just having really good fun as, as along with making sure that you don't lose sight of the end goal. Um, so, yeah, had some amazing results through those years. And so you get to world number one. I know you had a – did you have a bit of a battle there with Cam McAvoy for a while, like in the 200 freestyle? How was, yeah, how was that was sort probably, of battle? Like? I mean, it was from about 2013 to 2016. I think we tied, like we literally dead heated on probably three or four occasions. And people that know swimming, come, it comes down to one hundredth of a second. Um, and I think, yeah, we, we dead heated in the 200 freestyle three or four times. And that was just like, what? What is going on? Um, <laughs> but I, I think that battle with Cam really drew the best of me, best out of me. And I, I always used to take it back to training because Cam was always a very front-end dominated swimmer where I was sort of, I could get on a pace and I could go that pace all day. And that always spurred me on in training to know that Cam would always be half a body or three lengths of a body length ahead of me at the, the last turn. And it was my job to really claw him back. And people in the swimming world know that that's how most of the battles unfolded. But I think that really those sort of rivalries and friendly rivalries really spur you on. You probably have the same with your paddling that, just bring the best out of you. Not that you don't like or dislike the person. It's just that, you know, you just have a good battle. You always seem to be yeah. on the same level. And, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure, no, we did. We, we, we dead heated at the, the, the Rio Olympic trials, the tournament freestyle. And yeah, I'm, I read that before I came on air and it was, um, yeah. you both got the spot and it obviously was a, a really surreal experience. I'm sure for you to obviously dead heat again. But those yeah. those rivals do bring the best out of you, and I always like when I ever I'm at an event and I'm lucky enough to you know I always try and thank my competition because without the competition you don't push yourself to go harder because even like I saw Corey Hill the other day on the on the boothcast and he was saying how like it would be nice to be able to win by five minutes, but when you win by one run it feels so much better because you can <laughs> actually you, you've actually fought as hard as that guy as well and you've been both training really hard to get that result and you you win just and it just means so much more to you and I. I think that probably what was pushing you through those 200 free uh, that period for four years or whatever it was. But you go to you go to Rio again. Uh, what was that Olympics like? Rio was just a, just a crazy experience. It was we were swimming finals at one o'clock in the morning, and it was kind of it, it was kind of like New Delhi. It was kind of like that games where it was all. That's where my mind went as well. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of it was a it wasn't sort of um, as um, challenging as as Delhi, but it's definitely had a challenge in the sense that you know your sleep cycles and all that type of stuff was messed up, and there was stuff in the village that wasn't fin finished and done properly, and um, and comparing that to the London Games, the London Games was just run like clockwork. It was just nothing was out of place. Not a drop of water was out of place that whole entire Olympics. So I was comparing that games to obviously the Rio games and um yeah it was, it, it go was green, did it? No, no, I don't I think it's gone like orange now or something like that. I don't think they've moved the too well. Yeah. Um but um yeah we had a great games, great great racing. Um yeah it was awesome experience putting all that stuff aside. And what, what results did you finish up with? Because you, you raced the 400 IM again, the 200 free, the 4x2? Yep. So I finished 
400IM, but it was the, like it was a battle for the minor met, like it was a battle between three or four of us um, within like 0.4 or 5 of a second at 400 meters, and I was on the wrong side of it. Yeah. Um, and we finished fourth in the relay by, I think it was like 0.2 of a second or something like that. So it was when you get to that level, 0.2 and 0.3 of a second seem like, oh, that's, that's, you know, that's a, you know, hey, it looks it looks like heat, but it's 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 so close, you know, <laughs> like it's yeah, it's really you don't appreciate how, um, I guess how big a it looks like a big moment, but it's so small, yeah, until you actually see it in in um in real time. So, um, yeah, like I said, great games. There was there was a lot of stuff. Um, that made that game special. Obviously, had Kyle Chalmers who won when he was only 18 years of age. Michael Phelps' last swim. So it was, it was a really cool game just, um, to be a part of. And what's it like swimming in a, in a team environment? Because I know, obviously, swimming is a very individual sport. You're, you're looking at the black line for a couple hours like in the morning and the afternoon. How is it to go into that sort of team environment when you're going over um, to something like an Olympic Games or a Commonwealth Games? Like, Does it feel like you're part of something a little bit bigger than yourself um it's kind of hard because you've got with the australian swim team you've got 40 plus individuals coming together in a team and as you probably know like it's it's very hard to get 40 individuals all thinking the same and it's not necessarily about everyone needs to hold hands and sing kumbaya it's just about getting everyone on the same page in the same direction and just respecting one another. Um, yeah, a lot of different personalities. And I remember the, the world championships last year, I was almost 28 and I think the youngest girl on the team was about 16 or 17. So there's a big age difference in that sense. So, um, you're so yeah. old now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so you have that obviously experience in Rio, but is it hard as an Olympic athlete and as a an athlete sort of racing for medals, essentially? Because that's sort of how the Olympic structure is set up and how the Australian public probably perceive it is if if Olympians are going over and they're not winning medals, like what's what's going on? But when you only just miss out by that fraction of a margin, is that hard to take or is it if you still perform your best race, that's all that matters? I mean, if you're still swimming PBs, it's still really good. But at the end of the day, everyone... Everyone goes to the Olympics to win a gold medal, and unfortunately, only one of those are given out in each event. Um, so I know that was mindset. My mindset was to go to the Olympics and to win medals and to win gold. And I think, I think definitely in the past, Australians have kind of been spoiled with all the talent that we have had. And I think the the standard of world swimming over the past 20 years has just increased dramatically as probably all sports have. Um, so times that you swim, swim now. So if I have to swim, if my best is in a 200 freestyle is 145.0, I have to swim 146 low to even make the top 16 now. So I've only got about a second of error margin in yeah. the heats as opposed to my best time. So I think, um, getting back to your question, everyone everyone goes there to win medals and everyone has that expectation if you're on that team to go there and, and win medals and, and do the best you possibly can. And obviously, with the Olympic structure and having so much, obviously, emphasis on that, 
how did you come away from that Rio Olympics and, and what sort of, I know something transpired in 2017 and obviously it was an unfortunate situation with the whereabouts program. I, I know it's quite a difficult program for myself to be on as well. Like I've obviously had, yeah, I got to put that hour down a day. You got to be really diligent with it. And I definitely don't get tested as much as you guys. Like I know you've had 200 tests over your career and you've, you've never had a positive one. And it's, it's just obviously a different, a difficult situation to be in. Um, what, like what transpired and, and how did you deal with that whole situation? Because it obviously wasn't a, a really nice one to be in and you haven't really done anything wrong, but you just, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. It's, it's just one of those situations. I, I, I went through a period after that Olympics where I didn't really know if I wanted to swim too much anymore. And I, I was taking, I know just some self-reflection time to really think if I really wanted to continue in the sport and really wanted to put in another four years because that's, I wasn't coming back to swim for, you know, for a, as, as, as prestigious as they are, like a world championships or Commonwealth games. I wanted to, if I was going to make the commitment, I was going to commit for the next four years. And I just, through that time, I just sort of fell out of love with the sport and I, I just couldn't find any, we spoke about earlier, I couldn't find any routine. And I, I just sort of, felt like I moved moved away from the sport for a little while and I I essentially I just got lazy and um made a missed a couple of random drug tests that you obviously can't do within the space of 12 months you you can't miss more than three tests and um I ended up unfortunately receiving a 12 month suspension for that so I think the having the time now to reflect and use hindsight um, it was a period where I just fell out of love with the sport and didn't really want anything too much to do with it for a couple of months and just wasn't where I was supposed to be and where I said it was going to be. So that was unfortunately the, the price that I had to pay. Yeah. So for the listeners out there who don't understand what the whereabouts program is, it's basically you've got to detail your life to Asada or WADA, the Olympic doping bodies, and basically say, where are you going to be an hour a day? You've got to say, where are you having your breakfast? Where are you having your swim training session? Where are you having lunch? Where are you having, I don't know, your gym session? Where are you going to training in the afternoon? If you're going to go do a concert, if you're going to be at a, a dinner party with your friends, like you have to basically detail your life and then plan it three months in advance and put it down for each quarter. And then if, if you like sway from the plan, which is like the hardest thing I found with it, because... I don't know what I'm doing most of the time next day. Like my, and I, I don't have a routine or a structured training program like someone like you. I actually just make it up as I go. So it's, it was so difficult for me to do. And I, I can see completely how it could, you could make, that, like make those mistakes because we all do it. But um, coming out of that situation, you, you take the 12-month ban, you take it on the chin, you accept that you, you weren't as diligent as you, you should have been with that, that program. Um, how did you make that into a positive? Because you didn't want to be part of the swimming, but I read some stuff about, um, you said like you were kind of sour, you were bitter, but you didn't want to finish swimming on that note. You wanted to come back and actually make a, something good out of it. And you spent the yeah. last three years swimming towards um, Tokyo, which is now postponed. But how is that whole process for you? And obviously taking something really negative and trying to make it into a positive. Yeah, I, I had, I, I use this word self-reflection a lot through that period. I had, um, when I received my 12-month suspension, I took about, so during that time, to give your listeners a bit of um, perspective here, I could not train with any accredited coach or any qualified coach. I couldn't train with them in any sport, whether it was 
swimming or surf life saving, for example. Um, I couldn't train at and the same time as any registered club program was training at. So I had to, you know, find, I had to train outside those training times. So essentially what I, what I did was I took five months off and I had to literally plan myself that next seven months of how I was going to make a comeback because I couldn't just take 12 months off with no swimming because it would take me another then 18 months to get back to the level that I was at. So, and it wasn't like when I come back, I was automatically guaranteed my spot on the Australian team and guaranteed funding and all that type of stuff. So at that time, all my funding and all my sponsorship had just completely gone to zero and, and um, had been cut. And I had to make a decision whether or not I wanted to come back and, and what were the reasons why I wanted to come back? What was important to me? Why, you know, I'm not coming back just to, to make the numbers and, and to make another Australian team. I want to come back. And for me, it was a big, a big thing that I hadn't received a Olympic, Olympic medal yet in my career. And I knew one of my best shots at getting a medal was a part of that four by two freestyle relay team because you had some really good swimmers, the likes of, Kyle Chalmers, Mac Horton, Alex Graham were all coming through and were swimming really, really fast. So, I, and I knew to get on that team that I had to be swimming fast. So I, I made the decision after having five months off that I really wanted just to, to get back in and, and like I did early in my career, just back myself and, 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 and really just commit and, and see where it went. So I had to um, essentially get the whiteboard out, write up my own programs, go in the public lane outside of, training times and swim with the public not that's a bad thing but when I'm normally averaging about 27 seconds for a lap and the public swimmers are going probably around 60 seconds a lap it makes it quite difficult to go in and out and all those like surf swimming all over again yeah that's it so I, I just had to get really creative in, in the way that I trained I did a you know a lot of running I did a lot of swimming um, in the pool and in the surf as well and I just, just really had to just commit to the process again. I had to commit whatever I wrote down, I had to just do it. There was no, oh, like, oh, no one's going to be there. No one's going to know if I miss a session or not. I just, if I wanted to do it, I had to commit to it. And that, I think those lessons that I learned at a very young age helped me get through that period. Yeah, and I remember I saw something that you had um, Sarah coming down and putting the, the GoPro on the bottom of the pool so you could practice, like, look at your turns and you could practice your skills. And you, you have that yeah. self-accountability, I think, which was instilled in you from a young age, which is from when you basically, when you went to Canberra at 17 and you wanted to commit to being a swimmer. So you knew what to yeah. do. It's obviously a very daunting moment when all of a sudden you, all your funding's cut, all your support structures are down. You basically, all you can do is fall back on yourself. But because you had those routines, because you had that process in place that you'd had previously, you just fell back on those processes to be able to allow yourself to get through that next seven months, which is just, you're pretty much by yourself, which would have been such a difficult thing to do. But obviously you, you wanted to prove um, that you were still a good swimmer, that you could still go to these next Olympics and you wanted to be able to, to show the world that you weren't, you weren't down and out. Yeah, I think I, I learned early in my career that I don't really respond that well when I feel like I need to prove something to the world or prove something to others. I, I go really well when I'm very self-driven and, and want to prove it to myself. And that was kind of the reason that I got back in. I was like, Oh, 
I can't end my career on this note. And I know that I'm so much better than this. And I'm just so annoyed at myself. I'm in this situation. I, I need to get back there. And I want to get back there just to prove to myself that, you know, if you put your mind to something, you can, you know, as the cliche goes, you can achieve anything. And that was really one of the driving forces. And to put context around it, it was, it's like being in a, you know, I guess a footy team where you have all your mates and you have your coach, you have the support staff and all that type of stuff and support strategies and then you're literally you can go to the park next to us you can't see us you can't talk to us and we'll see you in 12 months time and that's and you're expected to come back as good as what you left and that was um that was probably the most challenging part yeah i know i know for me that whole uh whereabouts thing when i was put on a couple of years ago you were the guy that uh, like every time that I was like freaking out that I did it wrong. That was, you were like, I was like, I don't want to be like, I don't want to be like Tom. I don't want to make yeah. a mistake. So, but it is such an, a yeah. daunting experience, but I think you've handled it really well. And you, you can't the other side, you start swimming well again. Um, and then you, you found a new coach. I think you are swimming with Michael Bowl now, which is, I guess the guy you went to do a trial with back in 2010 when yeah. you actually come to the Gold Coast. But yeah, you've gone to, yeah. to him. You're swimming under Griffith university, I think. And, how is that? Yep. How has that been? Is he been really good for you? I think he, is he Cam's coach as well? No, so he trains Emily Seabom, um, Emma McKeon, um, Georgia Bowl. Um, he's got a really good group up there. And I think at this point in my career, Bowley is the perfect coach for me. Yep. Um, I feel like I have a lot of input to what we do at training. And I think I've, I've sort of gotten to that age where... I know what needs to be done at the right time and the right point of the season. Um, so I've had very different personalities in terms of coaches. I've gone from Dennis, who's very demanding and very, this is, this is how it's done. And there's no compromises to, to Michael where he is more about how you're going as a person is everything going well type thing. And it still expects the work to be done and at a very good level, but, um, cares a lot about the swimmer. Yeah, and I think that holistic style of coaching, like looking at obviously the training and the person, is is really important in this day and age as well. I think, uh, I think some of the coaches back in like the eighties and nineties, when more was more, you just went out there and you flogged yourself, and that was all was important. You saw a lot of those athletes come away with a, a lot of, I guess, not all of them, but like some mental, like sort of issues like dealing with coming down from that swimming lifestyle. Whereas now it's more about like making sure that everyone's okay. Once they finish that quad cycle, or finish that Olympic cycle yep. and they're trying to, to make sure that the person can move on from swimming because you can't swim forever. But now that you come back, are you still, are you back swimming the times that you were swimming before the first, uh, for the Rio Olympics? Uh, very close. Yeah. So before this, we had 12 weeks until the trials got canceled, um, due to COVID. So I've, I was really tracking nicely towards the trials and um, yeah, the times were coming down and it's just an unfortunate situation that um, I'll at least get another 12 months of training and racing to, to prepare for now. But um, just goes to show that there's many other things in life that are bigger than sport. And how, how difficult was that, obviously, for you? You've had the 12-month ban. You've had that time off. You've come back into swimming. You've spent that, like, two years getting back to speed. You make your first you – you get back on the Australian Dolphins team. And then you have this – it becomes from going a four-year cycle to a five-year cycle, essentially. 
how difficult has that been and how are you dealing with training at the moment like can you train can't you train like what 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 has changed for you yeah so it's it's um i said this the other day it kind of feels like the unknown of being suspended again like what's next you got to train on your own all that type of stuff so i'm coping really well like i've obviously got really good processes and really good structured routine during the day in and um just trying to keep fit and healthy we can't obviously get in the pool at the moment but i do have a gym at home and i've got a stationary bike at home and um we can swim in the ocean luckily only for a short period of time but just trying to just trying to keep active and fit and healthy but also use this time as a bit of a refresh because once we go back it's probably not going to be any more breaks for the next sort of 12 months leading into the Tokyo 21 now Olympics. Yeah, you've got to be very mentally strong in this period. And I think it's obviously the most difficult part of the whole thing is not being able to know what's going to happen. Like you, like obviously as an, as an Olympic swimmer, you're sort of doing those four year cycles and you've got that, that period that you're training for. And then it's like, okay, well now like my whole year is flipped upside down. I've got to, I can't swim. I can't go to trials. I can't necessarily plan for the Tokyo July this year then you've got to go obviously go for next year and so how are you how are you um, dealing with it? do you know when you can get back in the pool and and what's sort of is everything just sort of focusing for that Olymp- next olympic trials yeah well we have uh, i think a few restrictions have been lifted over over um over west but here on the gold coast i think they're looking at maybe lifting a few restrictions and maybe we can get back in the pool in may um i'm not too sure on that but um, I imagine it would be a very slow process of maybe a couple of people at a time and laying apart and all that type of stuff. But in terms of a date and in terms of um, and how frequent we'll be able to do it, we I just don't know yet. Um, but it just, the plan just changes. That's you know the thing about plans; they all they're constantly changing. And and this is just literally just been shifted twelve months back. So you can look at it any way you want. You can think. Oh, 12 months away or you can think you know i've got 12 more months to get even better so i think that's what a lot of athletes will be trying to take that mindset rather than um how far away it is because 12 months as you know 12 months goes very very quickly and there's still there's still going to be an olympics next year and you still want to be prepared for it (laughs) you got to find that glass half full mentality um that's it just before we start to finish up um what would you say to any of those young swimmers out there who do aspire to be an Olympian, who do want to um, obviously achieve these awesome things that you have? Is there any sort of um, things that you can give them or like tools that they can use to be able to get better? To get better, I would, I would just say find, find what works for you and just go for it. You know, yep. don't necessarily think, oh, if I don't do this, I won't do that. Just, just back yourself. That's yeah. a very, very common trend that you see in highly successful athletes and people is just, you know, having the will and, and just back yourself no matter what. Yeah, and I think that's really, that's obviously the, the most important thing. Like you, you got to invest yeah. invest your time, invest your money into yourself and generally you're going to achieve more. Don't don't fall, like fall to the detractors. Don't like um, necessarily think that you're not going to be able to achieve something. Think you're going to achieve it and then do your best performance at, at all points of your career and that's how you're going to get success because you know that every time you put your foot on the block, you're going to be able to do that best result and um, do your best performance. And 
that's what it all comes down to. But um, is there any way that anybody can find out more about Tom Fraser Homes? Like, do you have an Instagram handle or a website that people can check out? Um, I'm on Instagram at at Tom Fraser Homes. I'm pretty sure it is. I'm not really on Twitter at the moment. I'm on Facebook, um, but always up for a good chat. So just give me a call. I'm sure you can find my number somewhere. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's an open invitation to call Tom there. I'll try and find his number and I'll put in the link. I like, I love talking to people. Yeah. Well, that's mate. All, thanks so much for coming on today. I really appreciate your time this morning and um, all the best for the next year and year and a half or whatever it is leading into this next Olympics. Um, and I hope it all goes really well for you. Thanks, Boothie, mate. Good to see you. Good to reconnect and uh, plenty of good memories in the pool and surf. And I know um, we're very close to your family, my family. So um, awesome to chat, mate. Yeah, it's been really, really good. Just to everybody out there who has been following the Boothcast, if you want to check out any of these videos, please go to Michael Booth on Facebook and there's a section called Boothcast. And if you want to listen to any of the, the great guests that I've had on, please check out Spotify or Apple Podcasts. They're all in there. So thanks so much. Thanks, Tommy. I, um, really good to catch up with you again. Thanks, Boothie. See you, mate.